You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. Joining me today is my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. Chris, how are you? Good. And also, we have a special guest, Jennifer Chandler, a professionally trained chef, author, and local columnist for The Commercial Appeal. Um, Jennifer, welcome to the Ducks on the Podcast. Thanks for having me today. The reason why we're bringing Jennifer in today is we wanted to have a Thanksgiving episode. As a part of this Thanksgiving episode, we're all going to share some of our memories, some of the things that we like about Thanksgiving, but it's also about duck camp too, because people are spending time at duck camp. Uh, Mike, do you want to kind of talk about exactly what we're doing with this show? Sure. Yeah, this is an idea that I don't know exactly if we started with it last year, but finally we had enough time and had enough guests where we actually uh, were able to pull this together we as folks know that listen to the podcast we interview talk with people from all across north america and we thought it would be pretty cool to ask those individuals like what is their favorite memory favorite meal that they have had uh, either at a duck camp or duck blind because there's a lot of eating that occurs in both of those places and so it's just another one of those areas where uh, i guess it it becomes part of what duck hunting is to so many people is the uh, what we eat and uh, the fellowship that we get from that with the people that we're in the duck blind with. So this was a, we kind of, as we were interviewing people here over the past, I don't know, three or four months, we we would ask them what are their favorite meal was. And so they would kind of share that with us. So we have a series of clips that as we get into this, we'll be playing those and then we'll give our listeners sort of a, uh, a glimpse at some of the things that other people might eat. Yeah, the variations of duck camp dinners. But before we get into that, Jennifer, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself to our audience, you know, who you are, where you live, what you do, and, you know, how you became a professional chef and and the professional mentality that you're going to bring to this show. (laughs) Well, it all boils down to the fact that I love to eat. I mean, that's the whole reason I got in this business in the first place is because I love to eat. And I quickly realized that, um, a lot of times, if you make your own food, <laughs> it's going to be the best meals, and I wanted to learn more about it. So I, I will have to preface, I'm very excited to be back here because I worked for Ducks Unlimited when I first moved back home um, in 1995, so way back in the dark ages, working on the Great Outdoors Festival. I was going to say that. if, if Most of our listeners, maybe not all of our listeners, Well, they may but, not know what that is. <laughs> that's right, but we still get a lot of emails about the Great Outdoors Festival, so there are people out there who are like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was a great, it was a festival that had come covered all types of outdoor sports. I mean, there was a um, different kind of areas that there was like an archery area. There was an ATV area. There was a fly fishing area. There was a shooting range. You name it, if it had to do with an outdoor sport, it was covered at this event that happened for a few years here in Memphis, and then it moved up to Minnesota. And 
Sadly, it doesn't happen anymore. Well, it but, does technically, but now we call it Ducks Expo, and it's held oh, in. Oh, okay. Yes, it's actually in Texas at the Texas Motor Speedway. We, so last year was our first year, or this year, I guess, was our first year of doing it. Uh, that's right. Yep. And then now we're doing it again in April. So we'll fill you in on that. That's after the great show. because I had a ton of fun and I learned so much. And of course, the funny thing is, when I came to work here, um, I had just left France and I'd gone to culinary school and. Um, you know, thought I wanted to do that realm. And then I got, I had done special events before. So I kind of got back into special events. That's how I ended up here. But um, yes, I love to eat. So um, I went to Le Cordon Bleu in Paris after college and did um, a culinary program there in both savory foods and pastries. And um, then I went to work for a fancy hotel look um, uh, on the Champs-Élysées in the pastry department. So um, for a few months before I moved back home. Um, so I loved everything food. I, I worked here for a little while, and then eventually I had the opportunity to open my own restaurant, which was called Sheffy's Market and More, um, that we opened in um, 1999. And um, I had a great time with that, sold it when I had um, my two babies <laughs> and back to back. So that baby had to go. And then I turned to writing. And since then, I've written four cookbooks. I've written for countless magazines um, kind of in the region and across the country. Um, I've had some fun opportunities. I've gotten to do cooking segments for DUTV mm -hmm. in the past. Um, I, for a while, I was worked for French's Mustard doing their um, kind of culinary demos across the country. Um, so I've had a lot of fun, tasty adventures with my food career. And now, um, primarily what my main job is, is I work for the Commercial Appeal. I'm the food and dining editor for them. So um, I have the privilege of learning about Memphis restaurants and Memphis restaurant tours and chefs, and there's so much amazing food yeah, here. That's right. um, but it all boils down to, for me, I love to cook and I really love to eat good food. That's awesome. And we're going to go through these kind of duck camp mint or little stories that a bunch of our guests have provided us. Um, and we want to get your reaction to these. And we want to hear, you know, some of these are are pretty interesting. Some of these are uh, may sound even a little gamey. Um, but, but, and some of them may not even really relate to the game at all. Some of them are just a gathering of folks, which is why we wanted to... Um, to do this show because it is that time of year. It's a time when we get together with family and friends and eat. And one of the most interesting parts about um, this time of year for us, for me especially, is nearly every state in the U.S. duck season is open for the week of Thanksgiving. So there's a lot of stories of people who go duck hunting before Thanksgiving. And, and there's a lot going on as far as migration, Mike. I mean, this is a big time of year when you know, Canada just froze up. You know, birds are traveling south. People are out there really seeing the birds. And it's all part, for me especially, it's all part of this, you know, the whole aspect of Thanksgiving is, you know, hunting, birds, migration. It's fall. It's that time of year. Um, and I think it really gets people fired up not only about the hunting aspect, but also the cooking aspect. And so, yeah, and I think, you know, before we get into some of these mentions, I, I really want to hear your plan for Thanksgiving. My plan for Thanksgiving? It's got to be extravagant, right? <laughs> well, I host every year now. I kind of, um, my grandmother hosted for years and years in New Orleans. And then when she passed away, my dad took it over for a few years. And and probably about 10 years ago, it got, the torch got passed to me. In fact, it's very funny. I now have everyone's turkey plates. Mm. So there was these things my grandmother had. She had given them to all of her children. And, and as people have passed, I've inherited. So I can feed probably 
probably 35 people on a plate with a turkey on it. (laughs) So um, that's one of the things. I'll be pulling out the turkey plates this year. That will probably be the big thing is dusting those off because they get used once a year. Um, But they have a special family memory. And I'm sure everyone that's listening has something that is, you know, goes back to their childhood that was always on the table, Um, whether it's a plate like in this um, case for me or a dish that Mm -hmm. we'll be doing. So I'll be hosting. I think I'm going to have like, it keeps growing. I think I'm going to have 16 or 18 people, I think, wow. at the end. Um, everyone keeps just inviting someone or inviting someone else. But one of the things we do is we fry turkey every year. Oh, yeah. I used to roast turkeys. And um, years ago, I, I worked with a client that um, makes turkey fryers. And, this, and I started doing the indoor turkey frying. And it's so easy because you can have a turkey on the table in 45 minutes. It's yeah. now, indoor? I, I thought yeah. the guidance yeah, was on, to never on. fry a turkey there indoor. There is a contraption, electric turkey fryer. Ah. It is foolproof. Now, I generally do it in my garage because if you do it indoors, your house kind of will smell like um, <laughs> a turkey. Yeah. Um, just think it's like a giant fry daddy. Um, and best investment you've ever had. I've had mine for like 12 years now. And um, we pull it out every Thanksgiving and we fry turkeys for lots of people. Actually, mm-hmm. we'll start frying turkeys on Wednesday and um, for people who want them. But then we'll fry one and it's on the table in 45 minutes mm-hmm. and it's great. And what I do um, this weekend, I'm going to go ahead because we like gravy. You don't get gravy with a fried turkey. That's a good point. But I buy turkey necks and turkey legs and I roast them and I make the weekend before and I make a gravy with that, with a little advanced planning. Nice. But we're going to have all the side dishes, you know, cornbread dressing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Oh, cornbread you're not going to want to hear my <laughs> answer. Do you put sausage in it or do you not oh. put sausage in it? There seems to be a big, I thought everybody put sausage in it. I don't eat cornbread dressing. <gasps> really? Yep. Okay. I've been heavily, you can leave, you can leave the room. I've been now. heavily criticized for this uh, <laughs> around the office. And I've, you know, I'm literally just told, well, you're just a Yankee and your opinion doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, but my family grew up making more, like the bread based okay. stuffing. Okay. And that's what I really like. And I, I just, I literally, we just had this conversation with a girl here in the office and she was just like, I don't trust anything you say. <laughs> so, so, funny. so, so yeah, I mean, I, when you ask sausage or no sausage, I would rather go with sausage, but we do, my family has never been into cornbread dressing. Yeah, like, you put French bread in there. Yeah, it's a regional thing for sure. So I'm I'm a Southerner, grew up in Mississippi. So it's cornbread dressing. It's what I grew up with. It didn't have sausage in it. Yep. But but I married a Canadian, so that has kind of thrown a twist Ooh. into oh. the stuffing versus cornbread dressing. So uh, when we have Thanksgiving or Christmas at at Rebecca, my wife's right. family, at, with with her then it's always the stuffing. Mm-hmm. It's the bread with yeah. the sage and the spices oh, yeah. and yeah. celery mm. and onions and inside the, the the cavity of the turkey. And it's really, really good. And you're not gonna you're not gonna get me to choose between the two. I'm not gonna fall for that. Uh, you should have both. But th- well that's both. right. And so we are we are this year. Anytime our families get together, uh, we we typically will do something of that nature, have both. So Yeah, definitely. That's the best of both worlds. Yeah. Have so both. is is that your featured item in at- Oh the stuffing? Yeah. Um it's always there. I would not say it's the featured item. Probably what's the featured item when, again, going back to memories and childhood, mm-hmm. and this is cauliflower au gratin. I have to tell you, the majority of my Seems- life, I would only eat cauliflower this way. Now I like cauliflower. My you know taste pa- you know palate as I've grown up mm-hmm. <laughs> has um, <laughs> expanded. But when I was a kid, if somebody put cauliflower in front of me, I would have like turned my nose at it, said no way. But I always ate my grandmother's cauliflower au gratin at the mm-hmm. holidays. 
probably because ratio to cheese and cauliflower, <laughs> there's much more. It's made in a bechamel sauce, and it has like white cheddar cheese and Eesh. Parmesan and breadcrumbs. They're really not that much cauliflower in it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a dish that it's funny. My kids ask for it every year. They're like, it has to be on the table. Yeah. And it's nobody else I know serves that mm. on their Thanksgiving table, but it is always on our Thanksgiving table because, you know, I don't want to give away my age, but we'll just say for about five decades, I've been eating that. Yeah, it sounds really good. <laughs> yes. Once a year. So that's the one thing that for sure has to be on that table. That's yeah, that's a good one. And, and for me, um, my family, one half of my family was, is very Italian. Mm-hmm. And, we and we had a pretty large family. We always growing up had a large Thanksgiving, large you know feast, tons of people over there. But there was always we always like even my friends who would come over would be like, "What? What are you guys doing?" I mean, we'd have the turkey and mm-hmm. and do that and the the dressing or the stuffing, um, you know. But then there was always a pan of like rigatoni or oh. like a mustacholi dish yeah. out there. And like, it's just like a randomly placed at the end. And like, and that was always my favorite thing, yeah. you know, and cause I, I just love any pasta dishes, but one big standout is my uncle would always make um, green bean or not green bean, broccoli casserole. Oh. And it was a, so it was a broccoli and rice casserole, yeah. and he always had to make that. And then my dad always made homemade cranberries. So he would buy the cranberries and make that, and he'd have to go in the fridge all night long. And it was a big process. So it was, uh, you know, that's the one thing that that really stood out for me. What about you? So my Thanksgiving growing up was was pretty. Thanksgiving was always a great day because my my grandparents on my mother's side and grandparents on my on my dad's side lived within a block of one another mm-hmm. in small that's towns. How we, that's, nice. how, that's how I was too. That's so, how I always had these huge gatherings. So it was always Thanksgiving lunch at my and my mother's parents. And then it was we would go walk literally right up the sidewalk to to my dad's parents. And the traditional meal at our at uh, for lunch was was your traditional turkey and ham and uh, stuffing and and whatever else that we would have, but then for dinner up at my my dad's parents it would always be chili. Mm-hmm. It was just it was an interesting. That's cool. Not many people have have Thanksgiving chili as their tradition, but it was for us. And it could have been, I don't know this to be true, but it could have been because they knew that some of us were already having that, you know, the the regular Thanksgiving meal uh, just right down the road, right down the sidewalk for um, for lunch. But yeah, that was always the big day for us. Big families on both sides. And by the end of the day, you just didn't want to do anything but lay in the recliner. Oh, a nap is definitely yeah. a centerpiece of the Thanksgiving <laughs> meal. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I like sweets. So I, I was going to ask you what's the go-to I there. have a thing that I'm known for. The joke is, I think one year I made more pies than there were people at the table. <laughs> um, so this year I think I'm only going to make four pies, but I may end up making an extra pie. I haven't decided Is it all traditional yet. like pumpkin pie approach or are you getting— So some traditional and some not. So mm-hmm. I make a traditional pecan pie. And I do, when you talk about family, I have a funny story about my pecan pie. So my grandmother— um, I was born in New Orleans, but I grew up here in Memphis. Um, But we would always go back to New Orleans to visit my grandmother. And she was um, like second generation from France. I mean, genteel Southern woman. I mean, and so you would ask her for her pecan pie recipe and she would handwrite it. I mean, the most beautiful script you've ever seen. (laughs) And she would mail it to you. And I mean, this went on for years. If you needed a recipe, she would do that. 
and we always loved her pecan pie. And after she passed, um, I was working on a story for a magazine, and I was like, oh, I have the best pecan pie recipe in the entire world. I want to commemorate my grandmother. And so I'm, like, submitting this recipe and this article, and then my editor calls me back, and she goes— you realize this is verbatim the recipe on the back of the K-Row bottle, don't you? <laughs> and I went, what? And literally, I mean, so we had a big um, New Orleans family. I mean, I have like probably, I, I should count them, but we probably have like 10 cousins, you know, that are on the same age group. And I had to call everyone and be like, <laughs> we were none of us knew. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew That's that. Awesome. So the best pecan pie recipe for everyone here is on the back of the K-Row bottle. <laughs> That's awesome. No need to complicate it, right? Yes, yeah. don't complicate. You don't have to look it up. Just buy the bottle. It's the ingredient you need and do that. But I'm going to make pecan pie. I make a twist on a pumpkin pie. I do like a um, a pumpkin mousse tart with a little brandy and a little chocolate cinnamon crust. And then um, I'm going to make like a chocolate chest pie. And this year, of all funny things, I was trying to get a head start on my um, holiday shopping and I had my husband pick up some things on his way home from work the other day. And I said I needed heavy whipping cream. And he came home with this most giant tub of Cool Whip. Well, Cool Whip is great, but it's not the same thing as heavy whipping (laughs) cream for when you're cooking. So um, I have to tell you this morning, I was kind of Googling around and I think I'm going to, I found a recipe for a Reese's peanut butter chocolate chip pie that is made with Cool Whip. So I think I'm going to add that one to the mix since I have, I mean, when I talk about it, it's it's not the normal size. I don't even know if I've seen it. It's a bucket. It's like a five-gallon bucket of Costco version or something like that. It is in our chest. It wouldn't fit in my freezer in my house. It's in the chest freezer. So where does sweet potato factor into Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving dinner for you? Is that a a side item? Is that a dessert? Or is it a side item that, that doubles as a dessert? Well, Side item doubling dessert <laughs> may be it because, um, yes, we do this, the the mashed potatoes and we put the marshmallows in. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Now, I used to buy, you know, like, what is it called? Like the jet puffed, whatever, the marshmallow whip mm-hmm. cream, st- yeah, the whip I stuff. The I used to it. put that into it um, and then put the marshmallows on top. But then I decided it was a little too sweet. So now I just put a lot of cinnamon and I put a dash of bourbon, yeah. secret, ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. secret ingredient. Um, you don't need a lot, just a couple of <laughs> there tablespoons. Was, there, there was a handful of dashes of bourbon that floated around my family's Thanksgiving oh, yeah. as well. And um, so you put that into the mix and then you put the marshmallows on top and it kind of, you know, has that sweet crunchiness mm. on top. And I, speaking of bourbon, when you take your pecan pie right out of the oven, take about a tablespoon of bourbon and sprinkle it over the top right when it's right out of the oven and it kind of like It'll cook the um, alcohol out so your kids can eat it, but it gives it that just a little umph of flavor. Wow, that's a good idea. We will try that. We will try that. So before we, and maybe to kind of help us begin to transition to some of these other, um, some of the clips that we're going to play, Wild Game at mm-hmm. Thanksgiving or or even Christmas, but I guess right now we're talking about Thanksgiving. Now, I know you, uh, you're not a stranger to Wild Game. You were talking to us the other day about how you've, you've not, I don't, have you been duck hunting before? I know you said you've been dove hunting and and you've prepared those, but I don't remember if you've if you said you had been duck hunting yet. I have not been duck hunting yet. I have over the years. I mean, I feel like every year I get invited somewhere and something weird happens. Like if there's either no ducks and there, you know, somebody's been out there a couple of days before, or something is frozen over, mm-hmm. or and so I have actually never been. However. Everyone brings their ducks back home to me. <laughs> so I get I guess I get the best of both worlds. I don't know. I do everyone tells me how beautiful it is out there. I have to tell you, I'm not a morning person and I don't <laughs> like the cold. Yeah. 
Well, you can hunt in the afternoons. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I just need somebody to invite me on an afternoon hunt. Then, yeah. then that would solve when it's seventy-five all, degrees. When it's seventy-five, <laughs> as I said, I'll go on a dove a dove hunt field. You know, in any day because it's like what eighty degrees. Mm-hmm. The sun is shining. You know, but I, you know, I do love to cook them, and it's one of those things that, um, as I said, I, I have the best of both worlds. Yeah. So. Have you ever incorporated wild game, ducks, or geese into a Thanksgiving meal? I have. I, I have not. There was not, wild game was not really a part of our Thanksgiving or Christmas meal, to be honest. We would always kind of have that separate, but I know some people do, but I'm just kind of wondering if It you is have. not for us. Um, we still stay pretty, you know, traditional to the American Thanksgiving um, turkey. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we do on the day after Thanksgiving that we do every year is I make a big gumbo. Mm. Oh. Um, that we serve with the leftover turkey carcass. And so I have actually before thrown some duck in there um, that we've had and then, or I've had a turkey gumbo or a duck gumbo. We usually do our Friendsgiving afterwards. And when you talked about chili, we don't serve a traditional meal, but I serve a gumbo. is kind of what we do because one, it's yeah. a, you can make a huge pot of it or two huge pots of it, stick it on your stove and you put some rice out there in a slow cooker and um, people just serve themselves and yeah. it's the easiest way to entertain. Gumbo is a great dish for that. A lot of people have gumbo for their Thanksgiving, uh, oh, their Thanksgiving meal, especially you get into, uh, into Cajun country. I, I remember encountering that a few times. The other thing with regard to wild game, Matt Kaminsky is a person that we spoke with a couple of years ago and he was talking to us about using um, a swan uh, as oh. his, their Thanksgiving, uh, instead of a turkey, they roasted up a swan. That's pretty grilled up a swan. Yeah. And, and the recipe sounded amazing. Mm. Still haven't tried swan. I've had but. a goose for um, Christmas before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good, but it was just not the same. You know, it's one of those things that goes back to memories. Yeah. Yeah. And that some of the things about holidays that you just, you can never change. You know, I think one year I was like, I'm going to totally do a new holiday dinner and do all this stuff. And I, like literally my family revolted. Yeah, everyone really mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, where's this? Where's that? You changed this. You did that. I was like, okay, I'm never changing anything again. Well, you know, interestingly enough, we went um, a non-traditional Thanksgiving with my family because of COVID last year. Everyone was afraid to travel. My parents are now in Florida. The rest of my family's in Indiana. We live in Memphis. And, uh, and so we just loaded up, I have an RV. And so we just loaded up the RV and we stayed at a state park mm-hmm. down in Louisiana, like South Louisiana yep. and in St. Bernard Parish. And it was just my wife and I and my two daughters. And I literally was like, I was like, I'm going to cook like a traditional Thanksgiving in my RV. And how that whole thing transitioned was actually, I went to a local market the day before Thanksgiving while we were down there and ended up with buying a bunch of shrimp, you know, got some gumbo because I was going to make a gumbo, but then I realized I can't make it as good as some of those people down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we, our Thanksgiving dinner last year was like boiled shrimp. We had crab stuffed bell peppers, you know, and, and my wife, my, of course, my kids nibbled at it and stuff. We also made some noodles and some stuffing that they wanted to eat. I made a small little turkey breast, um, but we had a really non-traditional, and we, you know, we, we incorporated a lot of this, I guess, at wild game, because we went red fishing the day yeah, before, yeah. Sure. and red fish, and so that, I really like that aspect of it, but you're right, it does kind of take away from that traditional feel of, you know, Thanksgiving that you've always kind of remembered. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult, but I mean, we enjoyed it, and we would go again if the uh, my fishing guide was available. Corey, if you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, I might have to get that number for my husband, because my husband is 
the biggest fisherman in the entire world. We talk about seasons. Like oh, he yeah. is, he is leaving me this year on, which is our anniversary next week, and um, he is leaving me on Saturday morning because it is the um, brown trout spawn oh, um, no? in, Arkansas. in Arkansas. Yeah, and he's like, um, I'm going fishing, and I'm like, oh, my children are going to be home from college. I don't want to leave my girls. So it looks like the girls are not going to stay home, <laughs> and he's going fishing. Girls weekend. It's perfect. <laughs> dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. All right, so let's get into these, uh, you know, conversations, and, and I'll just go ahead and preface this by saying, you know, we talked about how duck seasons are open, you know, currently right now, all throughout the country, and there, there's a lot of people who are eating Thanksgiving dinner with family and then heading off to camp, or, you know, some people are having Thanksgiving dinner at camp. It's just all all over the place with people, um, but the first one that I want to introduce here, and this is Jeff Jones from Shin Gear. He, he came on in, in the early parts of season five. Um, he had something that I think will really relate to opening day and Thanksgiving and a gathering of, of folks. So, Chris, can you go ahead and play that? The best thing I ever ate at Duck Camp, my favorite meal at Duck Camp, and we do it every year. It's a it's a tradition every year. It's at my neighbor's camp. Uh, and it's nothing fancy. It's really not. It's just uh, pork roast with potatoes and carrots and onions, and they cook it all day long. But he, uh, he cooks it in, it's like, the thing that he cooks it, it's a pre, it's not a pressure cooker and it's not a crock pot, but it was like the predecessor to all these things. It was like the very first, this thing was probably made in the 50s. I, I don't know, I, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it, but it, it'll hold like two giant pork butts. It, it's five pounds of potatoes. It's three pounds of onions. It's three pounds of carrots. It's water and Worcestershire sauce and love and you cook it all day. But what makes it cool is everybody knows that that meal is gonna happen like the second weekend of season, or it might get delayed till after Thanksgiving to the first split when we come back. And it's just a time for everybody that has camps over there to come because it feeds like 40 people. So the meal's not necessary, the, the food that you're eating is not necessarily extravagant, it's not some kind of wild creation or anything it's normal comfort food but it's everybody being there together and you know it's going to be good because you've been eating it for years so that's like my favorite day and my favorite meal that we have every year i love that story i mean it is it's about you know food for me and is all about gathering mm -hmm. there's something about it just brings people together and to have memories around meals when you think about it a lot of family memories and times that and not only family but memories with your friends has been around a table yeah. and over a great meal and the meal doesn't have to be fancy it doesn't have to be complicated but it just has to be something that 
brings joy to you. But I really want to know what this thing that he cooked mm-hmm. it in, and I want to have one of them. Yeah. That sounds so cool. <laughs> I figured you would know what it was. Yeah. You don't know exactly. It what must it be some giant kind of pressure cooker. Yeah, I think That's I've right. seen those a, big ones that with are, the lids that maybe tighten down. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was kind of wondering. If I used it was. to have an uncle that made Italian beef, and I I promise it would make like two hundred pounds of Italian beef, and they'd have to pull it out at these big parties and stuff. And and, and that's what it sounds like it is. Yeah. So the other thing that I liked about that is, and I not experienced that type of tradition time and again, but I have I have hunted with friends on occasion where in the morning when you're when you head out or let's say you're heading out for an afternoon hunt or something like that, you get back, um, you, you prepare the meal in the morning and you're going to go out for the afternoon hunt and you know the meal is going to be, wait, be waiting on you when you get back. That There's mm-hmm. something about that, knowing that it's cooking while you're out there and yeah. maybe the birds aren't flying as well as you would like for them to. Your mind can still be occupied by thinking about that meal you're going to have once you get back. And probably if it's in something like that that's cooking, when you walk up to the you know, the cabin or wherever you're staying, you can and walk into the kitchen. Oh, yeah. You can smell it. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So it's like, ooh. Yeah. You can probably smell that thing from a couple miles away. You might, yeah. Like. If it feeds that many people. Yeah. One of those type of meals where if you don't quite have your limit before shooting time is over, you say, eh, let's let's go ahead and call it quits. Yeah. Let's go back and get to that meal. All right. So our next one, we'll go ahead and, and just kind of run through this list real quick. Uh, Mike, do you want to introduce yours? Sure. Some of these, I'm actually not going to remember what they were. We recorded them quite a while ago. So this is just going to be a random selection. We're going to go with Dr. Heath Hagee, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We had him. This is actually going to be interesting because part of, part of the conversation that we had uh, during that episode related to uh, buffet, like a, mm-hmm. a buffet meal. We're drawing some analogies between uh, how humans eat at, at a buffet line and how ducks and geese forage in a field. So we, he, he used that analogy. So it'd be interesting to see what he said here. I can't recall what he said, but this is Dr. Heath Hagee uh, from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Gosh, that that's an impossible question to answer, Mike. So uh, as you can see, uh, I like to eat. And so um, there have been many great meals enjoyed at, at duck camp with professional chefs and uh, and in you know blinds at Real Foot Lake with full kitchens in the back of them and so I've I've been lucky in in that regard but I I have to tell you that one of my f- absolute favorite things to eat in a duck blind I guess I have two if that's not cheating right okay two things one is the the very simple um, uh, like breakfast burrito on the little Coleman stove that you can do in any pit, super easy. Just bring some eggs out, some tortillas, super easy. So, so while that's not grand, it's one of my favorite easy things in a duck blind. Uh, maybe a close second is real simple some duck jerky from the previous year. I love to carry with me duck jerky that, that I've made or had processed and have that with me in the blind. It just Something about it just feels right, uh, you know, when you're out duck hunting. So, Jennifer, not an extravagant meal, as Heath talked about there. But so what makes that special in your mind? Well, you know, one is when you talked about the breakfast burritos. Again, tradition and doing something over and over again. And it's just, it, it becomes part of the experience for him. But I love the idea of the duck jerky. I mean... I, I feel like I need to go make sure somebody does that for for us for next year, and yeah. I'll send all you know, I'll send all my friends out you know, with some duck jerky when they go hunting because that really kind of brings it all together. It does. I mean, it brings the whole mm-hmm. concept of why you're out there. 
yeah. together. You yeah. Know? I actually do that with, do it with venison, venison jerky, mm-hmm. as well as duck or, or goose jerky. But mo- I have more venison in the freezer than I do duck or goose. So it tends, it tends to be the venison, but it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. It's full circle experiencing yeah. the, the, the harvest from the previous season or from earlier in the season, if, if that be the case. But it, yeah. And the experience being part of that atmosphere, that ambiance is, I think that's going to be a, a, a common thread through many of these stories. Yeah, here. I think, and that's what it's about. I mean, it's about yeah. the kind of the fellowship of gathering and, and eating together and the food. Um, and and here's, a, here's another good one. I've got um, Jay Anglin, who joins us quite regularly to provide some uh, migration updates. And and I and Jay just, Jay in, in and of himself is an experience. So I can guarantee you his, uh, his, his favorite thing to eat at duck camp or his best experience is probably pretty interesting. So can you play that one? Well, you know, I've had quite a few good meals at duck camp and it, the, the tavern down the street right next to duck camp. But one stands out, oh, back in the 90s, or I guess it was the early 2000s, I was in North Dakota with a crew of guys from town here. And I was kind of the new guy, I just moved here. And uh, the hotel was just packed with hunters from all over the country. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of blue wing teal around and everybody was looking for mallards. And I was perfectly content to go gun some blue wings. So I went off on my own one day and, uh, you know, had a good morning on the blue wings. And one of them just happened to be wearing a leg band. And uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a Drake and it was from uh, Yorkton, Saskatchewan. It was a nice, nice adult Drake, you know? And so I, I went back to camp and every guy there posed with this duck, like he had taken it, you know, for a photo, you know, like they posed with it, you know, at the hotel. So we sat around and we had all these teal and a bunch of guys had gadwall and a whole mish, mishmash of quote unquote soft ducks. So we sat there and we cleaned them up and one of the guys from Texas had come up and he brought a horse trailer full of beer. And uh, <laughs> we sat there and we wrapped those things and uh, we soaked them in uh, some jalapeno juice, Texas style, right? And wrapped them in a little bacon and guys pulled a grill out. We sat in the parking lot around in a circle on buckets and you name it, decoy bags and and uh, grilled those those uh, little little morsels of tender goodness and uh, drink beer and everybody passed that duck band around and stared at it. <laughs> and it, it just really stands out for me because it's about as good as duck can taste. I'll tell you what, in that setting with a bunch of good guys and a nice cool uh, evening up in the uh, Northern prairies, it was, it was really awesome. I think about it once in a while. It was, it was one heck of a, one heck of a good day. That sounds like a great day. Yeah, it does. And, and and again, you know, it's really the the full experience of it. And and it, it's it's great to have him even kind of recall, you know, the guy from Texas with the horse trailer and you know, and I, and I think that's even when you're talking about your own Thanksgiving meal, you know, you're recalling these these real intimate details of of what you're making and what your family reacts to. Um, so so, what do you think about just like the jalapeno? It sounds like you just oh, marinated in the jalapeno. Great. Well, what of the things that sounds great to me is because whereas I've not been um, duck hunting, I've been dove hunting, mm-hmm. and I've had a similar experience in a dove field where we've cleaned the dove and we've, you know, done the, you know, wrapped them in bacon and wishbone Italian dressing is what I've always uh, marinated it in. But I'm going to have to try the jalapeno. Yeah, that's Maybe say. a combination of the two might be perfect. The jalapeno might be a little too spicy for me. It's just the yeah. straight jalapeno juice. If you did jalapeno juice and wishbone Italian dressing, that might be like 
the perfect marinade. Yeah, a little spicy. Yeah, a little spicy, but still gives you those those flavors. But I just, there is something about, yeah, traditions, and there's something about these experiences that you really only get in the outdoors. And mm-hmm. if you're not getting outdoors, you're not having you're not having that indoors in a restaurant, and you're not having those um, memories that are again just being the majesticness of nature and bringing it all And the together. community, the fellowship yes. and the sharing in the stories. Yeah, and, and you can probably have a bonfire yep. going. I mean, Absolutely. I've had some some fun that, as I said, it brought back a memory to me when mm-hmm. he was explaining that, so. Chris, I want to build off of uh, some of the couple of, th- a couple of things that Jay uh, said there, I guess, to select the next person that we'll, we'll share. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of our frequent guests, uh, a big fan of Blue Wings. I don't remember, like the one with Heath, I don't remember what this person shared with us. This is Dr. Scott Stevens. He comes on about every month. He loves to hunt Blue Wings. And so I'm kind of, actually, I think I might remember part of this story. It might have some humor to it. So play, uh, let's go with Dr. Scott Stevens. Yeah, so so maybe this will fall in the category of most memorable. So when when I was when I was younger and had just started duck hunting, which, which I actually took up late, um, I, I was with a friend in a blind with his with his grandfather and uh, and and an, another old gentleman who who had the blind and they were cooking eggs and uh, I don't know they must have had you know four or five eggs in in the skillet there and you know he was cooking those and then he kind of looked around and said oh dang like I don't I don't have a spatula or anything he's like I'm not sure how I'm going to flip those eggs. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, what what can we use? And uh, pretty soon then he just sort of flipped the skillet like a, like a chef does, and they all landed and none of them broke. And so I'm, I'm sure he had that set up, but I will never forget him sort of doing that in the blind. And it was one of those early sort of formative hunts for me. So that's probably my most memorable. The, the humor aspect of that one that I recalled was the the other guest that we had as part of that show was Dr. Tom Mormon. I think he shared with us, uh, shared his experience with us as well. But he was envisioning that story ending with the eggs on the on the floor <laughs> of the duck pond. I was actually thinking, <laughs> would they land on the ceiling and be stuck on the ceiling or something like that? <laughs> but yeah, that was one of those memorable experiences and left an impression upon him as a young hunter for sure. Yeah, and what I like about this one is is the experience itself is the cooking aspect. Um, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Um, I inherited that from my mother who is constantly cooking. Um, but it's, that is like what I have always liked about Thanksgiving and, and even, even my duck camp, what I like guys are going over there. They're like, we're going to shoot ducks and we're going to do this. And I'm like, I get to cook for like 12 people for three days. Like I love it, you know? And, and so I like the cooking aspect of that. And I think that's something, you know, do you kind of feel that as a, but I think this also, a note to everyone to take away, is have a fun culinary trick that you can do. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> because, yeah, I'm sure everyone was thinking, oh, what are going to happen to those eggs? And that guy knew he could flip an egg. Yeah. you got to be confident With a flip to of his that. rest. Yeah. Especially if there's multiple in the pan. All right. So our next one is uh, from our great conservation partners, Mossy Oak. We've got Daniel and Neil Hayes, and they joined us uh, early or about the middle of season five, and and I really can't even remember which you know what meal they were. This is kind of to. fun yeah. in that regard. Right? Yeah, it is kind of like the reaction. Opening video. a box, opening a Christmas present. Just a couple of years ago, you know, I'd always heard and never busted up the curse to eat it, but you know, I've always heard you know how good duck hearts can be. And uh, a few years ago, we had a great hunt, shot a lot of mallards. You know, we popped twenty or thirty uh, mallard hearts out of the ducks we were cleaning, and you know, just put a little seasoning on them and threw them on the flat top and cooked them uh, just briefly, you know, for like 
maybe 30 seconds aside and popped them off. And uh, I've got to say, that's one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. I mean, it was mouth-watering good. So that's probably the best thing I've had at Duck Camp. And I'll, I'll add to that that I think a lot of people are intentionally dramatic about how good a deer heart is because you see a lot of people that they know that people leave them in the gut bucket and they go, oh, man, it's better than a better than a tenderloin. And they're being a little, I think they're exaggerating a little bit, but duck heart really is. Uh, the first time you try it, you think that maybe people are being a little facetious and then you eat it and you're like, damn, that tastes just as good as the duck breast does. So I've eaten a lot of organ meats over mm-hmm. my lifespan, um, especially having gone to culinary school in France. Yeah, yeah we were, were, you know, I've eaten a lot of different things that I may not have eaten before. <laughs> um, but you know what? I have not had a duck heart. So I will always try something once. But I could imagine that it might be pretty, I mean, it's going to be lean. I mean, mm-hmm. I think any, if it's a, mu- it's a muscle, I would think that um, any heart of anything would be lean. I just may not need to think about what it is. Like when I've eaten tongue before, yeah. I just, it's too close and personal. I can't put a just tongue on my tongue. It. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing about duck heart is it's, it's, a, it's, a it's really small. Yeah. It's, it's like the size of a quarter. Yes. Maybe even, you know, so it's about half the size of a wine cork, you know, yeah. something about like heart that. Heart poppers. There you go. Heart we, poppers. we got a new thing that we're going to start. <laughs> I'm sure heart there poppers. are a lot of recipes out there yeah. that we're just not aware of. <laughs> so I will want to go with the next one here. This is from a young lady from Texas, uh, from down around San Antonio, Miss Brenna Malley. This was a really interesting story with regard to how we came to do this particular episode. She's 17 years old. She sent us an email asking if she could come on the DU podcast to tell a story about some wetland conservation sort of outreach education program that she's involved in. And I thought that was just so cool to have someone of her age and as thoughtful as she was reach out to us wanting to be part of this because we're only like, what, three years into this right Mm -hmm. now? And and so she came on and was a fantastic guest along with the the volunteer associated with the program that she's involved there, the, the Texas Brigades. And so we're going to play Miss Brenna Malley at this time. It was when one of my mom came duck hunting with me for the first time. And she, I told her we were going to be in the blind for a while. She went all out. She brought these um, little ham and cheese sandwiches, and she brought like this whole picnic meal. And like the entire blind ate this wonderful meal. And like now everyone wants me to bring my mom hunting because she'll she'll pack food for an army. And that was definitely one of the most memorable because those sandwiches um, are my favorite. She's made them since I was a little girl. So it was really nice to sit in the blind and talk with everyone while eating my favorite food. And I love that my mom was there with me to enjoy it. Yeah, obviously what makes that one special is that it's that it's a bond between a daughter and a, and a mother and her being able to share with her mom something that she really enjoys. So that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm a mom. I love that story. I mean, I you know, you cherish those opportunities to do. And I mean, I have a joke. My children are in college now. And um, I have one that's a freshman. I have not gotten to go cook for her yet because she doesn't have an apartment. But my one that's in senior in college is I'll go and I'll cook for all of her friends yeah. and do the, I mean, when I go up there, there's usually a big meal involved that they get a home-cooked meal. And it's just such a special time for me as a parent to get to be able to have that with my kids. And so I'm so glad to hear her appreciating, which I know her mom was, you know, so excited to be able to be there and to be able to do that and experience something with her. So. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. My next one here is uh, a guest that we bring on 
pretty regularly, uh, Tony Vandemore. Um, and Tony, if you're familiar with Tony, he's a co-owner of Habitat Flats up in northern Missouri. And I know for a fact that they serve a lot of meals up there in that camp. So um, go ahead and play Tony's. Holy. That's going to be tough for me. I mean, duck camp's kind of like, it's like shore lunch, you know, when you're fishing up in Canada and you're cooking walleye on the shore on a beautiful day after you're fishing and cooking it outside. I mean, you can't get that in a restaurant. Kind of the same to be said for duck camp food. I mean, whatever you cook, whether it's something easy that you're cooking in a blind, I mean, a, a bratwurst tasting incredible in a duck blind, but the best thing... I've ever had. I don't know if it's the best, but we have a pizza night. Our buddy cooks incredible pizza, and uh, we do it on Sunday nights. We're watching football. It takes four or five hours at the lodge. He's just cooking pizzas. There's wings. Everybody's telling stories from the day. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. That that's the best for me. Yeah, I think that that kind of goes back to the full experience and the camaraderie and everything. And and that sounds awesome. And and he's right. I mean, it's, um, you know, that's definitely a consistent message. Even some of the more basic meals can be just fantastic at Duck Camp. Yeah, it depends on who you're with Mm -hmm. and what the experience is. And and that just makes the experience. Yeah. So, And by the way... um, Leftover roasted duck, you shred it up and put it on top of a pizza there with like go. caramelized uh, onions. Oh yeah, I've never had it on a pizza. It's really good on a pizza. I you love it on a sandwich it. or something of that nature a day after. Throw it on a throw it on a pizza. It's yeah. really good. The next one we'll play here is from Dr. Mark Glutney. One of the things that I'll say, this is a, an interesting one. I do remember this one. This is interesting. A lot of the others, or at least several of the others that we've had, sort of illustrate that these types of most memorable meals are as much about the people you're with, the experience, the ambiance at the particular situation or some tradition. Um, and that's that's pretty, that's really cool in itself. But this one is a, uh, this one was memorable for me listening to it because it's something I'd never heard of before. Uh, Dr. Mark Glutney with the U Canada. So I, I remember uh, having a meal down in the Long Point, on the Long Point area around Ontario, one of the camps there. And um, it was a um, duplication of, of uh, meals that they used that they've served historically, where where they roast a duck, and then they they breast they take the breast meat off, and then they put the carcass of the duck and the legs, and they put it in a press, and they press this thing, and then all the juices of the duck come out, and and they make this amazing gravy with that juice, and and uh, and pour it over over the over the duck, and and you you have it with uh, with potatoes and, and some vegetables. But uh, you know the the history of the way it was prepared, and then and then just the the, the ability to extract all of that good essence of the duck um, was uh, was quite an experience. So that was. I remember the question I asked afterwards was kind of inquiring about the press itself. And he said it was resembles like a, a sausage stuffer. So that kind of gave me another reason to, to purchase a sausage stuffer. <laughs> I haven't done, haven't done that yet, but it's on the list. Your reaction, Jennifer? Yeah, I mean, I think that's there's something about, you know, using every bit of the animal and, and also, you know, the flavor. Like when I cook anything like that, if you can cook something bone-in, um, whether it is um, duck or it is chicken or it is um, even beef, you know, if you cook it bone-in, there is going to be flavor because there's that all that awesome flavor that comes from the marrow and the bones. And the fact that, um, and then the fat and things mm-hmm. like that, they're just in the dark meat that maybe kind of like is 
not that what you would serve on a plate, but there's flavor in it. And if you can get all that goodness, especially to make a gravy, yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean that's a really smart idea. Now I'm wondering if I need one of those. Well, things I know too that would that would fit kitchen. well. It would fit well with a Thanksgiving dinner, right? Oh. It would, because then I would get my gravy. My gravy say, would be even better. Instead of me roasting right. my gravy on the side, if I was able to press everything out of those chicken legs, I mean, the turkey legs and the turkey necks and yeah. get all the goodness out of there, yeah. that'd even be more flavor. There you go. That's okay. awesome. Okay. Add to my Christmas wish list. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my next one is Bill Buckley, a uh, professional photographer and freelancer for us, uh, for Ducks Unlimited Magazine and, and countless others. Let's go ahead and play Bill's. This is before the days when I discovered vacuum sealing and um, what a difference that made. And so if you put a duck in a freezer and even if you suck the air out within a month, the blood would turn brown and it would have this horrible freezer taste and just taste terrible. So I always wondered why down south I would go down there and have this wonderful, these wonderful duck meals. I'd come back so excited and thaw out some birds, try it and it just tastes terrible. And like I say, it had to do with what the freezer does to a bird. But at any rate, I remember being in, uh, back with my buddies Chuck Myers and Bill Benton um, when they uh, were involved with Green Tree Hunting Club. And we came down after, well, it was in the late afternoon, it was starting to be cocktail hour, and, and got down there and they had these wonderful little hors d'oeuvres with toothpicks and these chunked up pieces of, of meat and, um, and this has eaten quite a few of those and this other guy comes in and he sits down and tries a few says god that duck is incredible i looked at him like he was an idiot i said that's not duck that's beef and it turned out it was duck and and it kind of uh, got me to realize that uh, duck duck can be phenomenal if you treat it properly so and i'm one of uh, i i'm a huge proponent of learning new ways to cook ducks and geese and i love love introducing people to how good they can be so yeah so that was kind of kind of the, probably one of the best things i ever ate in duck camp only well because it was really good but also because it introduced me to the whole idea about uh, the detriments of freezing ducks by a standard method other than vacuum sealing yeah, and I think that's a good a good example for everyone is preparation. But um, you know, is is that something that you, that you're a big proponent of as far as um, freezing and, and well, preparing I mean, beforehand? Everything is better is if it's right, mm-hmm. if right when you've you know, right when you've either shot it or when you've, you've gone fishing, right when it's right out of the water. I mean, everything is going to be better then. But yes. The freezer can be your like worst enemy in the entire world. But thank goodness there are things like vacuum sealers that you can do that. If you don't own one, it is that is one thing I do own and I use the heck out of it. Um, for vegetables, for game, for fish, you name it. Um, I'm probably pulling that thing out at least once a week to um, to take care of food. And now with like sous vide cooking, mm, yeah. Um, I bet cooking, you know, vacuum sealing something and cooking a duck breast in um, sous vide yeah. and then put it, throwing it on the grill or throwing it in a cast iron skillet afterwards would be a great way to cook it. Um, and I've always, I mean, I, I know with with fish and things like I've not done this as much with um, with duck, but um, if you put water in there, it protects it. Like if you mm. put if you mm-hmm. put the meat and you put it in water and you freeze it in a block of ice, um, 
at least with fish, it's kind of yeah, protected. Definitely. I'm, I'm assuming it would do that with duck breast too. I think it would. I think I think the the issue with duck itself is is just that longevity, how long it's in the freezer too. Yeah, that the people, can make a difference. People put. I mean, I'm I'm guilty. I know that there are things in my chest freezer in my garage that have been there for years. <laughs> and every once in a while, I feel like I have to dig them out and throw them away and be like, this is, there's no way that this is good. So people need to do remember that, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, on average three to six months, depending mm-hmm. on what the product is. I mean, sometimes you can get a year out of it, but really you need to try to, everything that you put in your freezer this season, you need to have it, try to make the goal of having it gone by next season. And that, and that really leads us back to the duck jerky. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. mean, if if you have to get oh, rid of it, there you, there you go. go. I mean, that's there you it. go. What about his comment on the the duck tasted so good he he thought it couldn't be duck. You know, he was not used to duck tasting that good. Have you? How often have you encountered that? You said a lot of people bring their ducks to you for you to cook for them. How yeah. often have you encountered that where you surprise them based on the way you cook it? Oh, and yeah. They think it. They always thought of duck as being dry. Without and- a doubt. I mean, for years, I wouldn't eat duck and it, wild duck because I thought it was dry and it was um, really gamey tasting until, you know, I learned some tricks and around, you know, cooking it. And, you know, so you, you, I think we all probably have people that we know when they invite us over to a meal that's serving game, we know we're going to eat off of their mm-hmm. table. And then their friends were like, okay, we know we need to eat something beforehand <laughs> and we're not going to eat that much of it. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, you know, paying attention and experimenting and learning um, what techniques work for you and what doesn't. So, and and definitely listen to your friend and ask questions for your friends that you think do a good job cooking. Because I've learned so much from my friends who probably learned it from another friend um, about ways to make things taste good. For this next one, it's going to be a little bit of a, uh, take us down a little different path here. And Jennifer, I know you did listen to this one beforehand and it left an impression on you. It's uh, Austin Booth, the director of Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. It's a little unconventional uh, or a little unusual. You might not, shouldn't say unusual, but it's different and, and, and very, and I can relate to it. Uh, Austin Booth. It's an unoriginal name called a duck bond sandwich, but it's uh, white bread, got to be white bread. Uh, Cheap ham, ideally the cheapest ham that you can possibly find, Uh, a fried egg, American cheese, and secret ingredient is two things. Miracle Whip, no mayonnaise, has to be Miracle Whip, and Cavenders. (laughs) It's a seasoning from Harrison, Arkansas, and it makes a sandwich. Maybe what really makes it is just that white river bottom air. <laughs> Jennifer, Jennifer cringed. Your, your okay. reaction. <laughs> well, it, well, I'll tell you what I cringe about. But the first thing is I didn't realize Cavenders was from Arkansas. Huh. I learned know something either. new. Yeah. But because um, I've used it before a lot. But yeah, Mar- I'm not a Miracle Whip fan. <laughs> I mean, I love mayonnaise. I love me some mayonnaise. But Miracle yeah. <laughs> Whip and me just do not go together. But um, yeah, I mean, there's something about simple foods like that that just are part of the traditions that you need. Now, I do want to tell him that if he's um, having his sandwich on the weekend of Thanksgiving, he needs one of those Thanksgiving leftover sandwiches right. with, you yeah. know, cold stuffing and, mm-hmm. and you know, cranberries and all the goodness that goes on that. He should switch to that at least for that weekend. That one weekend. <laughs> that and- one weekend. But otherwise, I, my family is originally from... New Orleans. So mm-hmm. I grew up a lot with like one of my favorite sandwiches to this day is on a French baguette 
It's thinly sliced ham and butter and a little bit of co- a little bit of salt. Hmm. I think I use kosher salt now, but my grandmother probably used you know iodized yeah. you know whatever the salt mm-hmm. was back in the seventies. But it's such a simple sandwich, but to me, it is so good. It's the best sandwich yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. And. Austin did emphasize it has to be the white bread. And I clarified the white bread that like sticks to the roof of your mouth, right? Oh, yeah. And he the said one, yes. Oh, I'm sure it's, it's the Wonder Bread yeah. or the Blue Bunny Bed <laughs> yes. Bread or whatever brand the that is. The one you got at the gas station. <laughs> yes. Which, you know, he could go to a pond afterwards and maybe feed some ducks with his leftovers. You know, that's what we Hopefully used to he buy. Knows better than I, that. I used to buy that not to eat, but to feed ducks at the, yeah. po- at the park with yeah. the kids. <laughs> and, and just you bringing up the uh, the, the Thanksgiving which, sandwiches, yeah. which we kind of talked about a little bit offline. Um, I just want to emphasize that that is probably my favorite part of Thanksgiving is the Thanksgiving sandwich after the full meal. And my, fam- my sister and I go back and forth about like, what's the best part of the sandwich, you know? And is it the green bean casserole that's stuffed in or, you know, maybe the broccoli casserole or, you know, you have to have, you know, mayo on it or you have to have cranberries on it, you know, either way. Um, But it sounds like you guys are big into the Thanksgiving sandwiches as well. Yes. Well, you got to do the leftovers. I always take the, um, as I mentioned, I always make gumbo, um, but I take any of the leftover white meat and I save that for the sandwiches. Mm. Um, Because to be honest with you, those sandwiches are less about the meat yeah. than all the other stuff that That's you're right. throwing yeah. in there. And you definitely have to have the cranberry. Yeah, that, I mean, the cranberry. Yeah, that has always been my And vote. sometimes I make, take my leftover cranberry sauce and I make a cranberry Dijon mustard. So you mm. take the leftover cranberry sauce and you put it, mix it with a little bit of Dijon mustard to your taste or your liking. And it's the best spread that you can use for another week or two. That's awesome. All right, so moving on, we've got a uh, retired DU chief scientist, Dr. Tom Mormon. I don't personally ever cook in a duck blind. In fact, I rarely, I rarely eat when I'm hunting or fishing, just because I'm pretty focused on the job at hand. Um, but when I first started duck hunting years ago, back in Ohio, uh, we would take a kerosene heater out to the blind on this big lake, Grand Lake St. Mary's, if anybody's from Ohio. And we'd light that heater October, November, when it used to get cold. Um, And we would take hamburgers wrapped in foil and you could chuck them on there. And while you're sitting there hunting, you'd be cooking yourself a cheeseburger. Um, It smelled really great. And I have pretty good memories of that being really cold. And that's really the only cooking that I've actually ever done in a duck blind. Most of the time I do layout hunts. And as you well know, when you're laying on your back covered up and trying to hide, it's pretty hard to do anything. So not really good place for fires anything like that so yeah um and of course you know the the hunting hunting lodges and everywhere i've ever been man all kinds of great meals usually revolving around ducks that one kind of surprised me a little bit because i always i mean tom as much as he hunts i just assume that he had some memory that that he carries with him kind of to this day but that one was actually one that he uh that came from his childhood there so yeah. again, pretty neat in that it, it kind of takes mm-hmm. him back to a memory. And I love that idea, though. That's a really smart idea <laughs> <laughs> to wrap them in foil and just throw them on the heater. I mean, that's kind of brilliant. Yeah. I bet they were really tasty. Oh, I'm sure they were. Everything tastes better in a duck blind. That's right. Absolutely. For the next one here, I do remember this one. Dr. Mike Schumer, he shared, this is uh, sort of an experiential story almost. And and uh, so this one was... Uh, yeah, this one is memorable. Dr. Mike Schumer. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. My mind goes back to a time when uh, I was in 
graduate school doing my, my doctoral degree in Ontario. Um, and my, my mentor, uh, Dave Ankney, who is, uh, I'd go with the word infamous, um, ecologist, but goose researcher, um, was, was at a, one of these, you know, these gatherings uh, at Shannon Bedzinski's house. And Shannon is a, is a waterfall biologist with the Canadian Wildlife Service now, but he and I were both uh, working together in grad school at that time. But he had a gathering in Scottish uh, of, you know, fellow duckheads, and, and, and Dave was there as, as well. Um, and they did roast, they did roast duck, full, fully plucked roast duck at like the peak of migration. So these are heavy, you know, birds coming off of Lake Erie, flying out the cornfields. And this is, this is yellow, yellow fat, right? On, on big mallards and black ducks. And so you put them on a Weber grill. There's a very specific recipe that you do. Um, and it's a pretty carnivore moment when they come off that grill, perfectly crispy. But at the end of the night, all these duck carcasses were, you know, on the on the counter on the table, and there's really specific meat on the back that people miss. It's, it's really really good, um, and so I went in there to use the restroom, and it had, it was occupied. So I looked at that tray of carcasses and just started tearing into them. And lo and behold, who comes out of that bathroom but Dave Ankney? He looks at me and he goes, "Darn it, Schumer! I knew I liked you for a reason." And he literally snuggled up to me and just buried his face into that carcass, <laughs> that pile of carcasses of duck. And we sat there for probably about a half hour picking away, um, pulling the, the leftover meat off those off those carcasses. And that's just one of those, you know, I, I think uh, kind of real memorable moments from, you know, somebody who was very much my senior but had that connection through, um, you know, the, not just not just the the research of ducks or the hunting of ducks, but, um, but, but that, to me, something that's a big part of my passion about the whole culture of waterfowling is the food, the food part of it and the, the small nuances that we all find, um, you know, similar uh, among, in, in our diet and interest in, in cooking and eating. And I can tell you that one of the reasons why that experience was so memorable to Mike, and it would have been to any of us in the waterfowl research world to have shared that table of duck carcasses with Dr. Dave Ankney is because he passed away a few years ago. He's no longer with us. And he is, uh, he was a giant in the field. His memory lives on, on uh, in, in major ways. But that was pretty cool. Mike was one of his students. He, you know, Dave was, was Mike's, one of Mike's mentors. But that experience there, again, the food, that experience can help you develop bonds with family members, friends, and that's certainly one of those uh, one of those cases. Oh yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I have to admit. So I'm kind of like picky about what I like the breast <laughs> meat. I'll shred the other stuff and put it in things. I probably would not be the person that would be up digging in the carcass. However, my husband and my two girls would. <laughs> they like gnaw at bones and things like that, but. I like I love crawfish, and to me, I've had that experience of, you know, especially living up here in Memphis. You know, a lot of people like crawfish, but mm -hmm. not everyone does. But the die-hard ones of us that like eat all of it, eat a ton of it, suck the heads, suck the head. like, do, do the whole thing. You find yourself like with these really cool people bonding over that you guys are the ones that are eating it right, and we're in the know, yeah, and right. they're missing out. So all those other people at that dinner party were obviously missing out. Yeah, and and. Crawfish is certainly, I'm glad you brought that up. That's certainly something that 
Um, we do a lot of crawfish. My wife's from Louisiana as well, uh, which gives me a little bit of legitimacy in the South. So, uh, but we do, she eats a lot of crawfish. I do too. Uh, but it's more, it's not like, hey, let's have crawfish for dinner. It's like, hey, let's stand around with 20 people and eat crawfish and drink a couple of beers. And that's, it's all part of the camaraderie of the whole situation. Uh, my next one here is Tom Dockin uh, with Sport Dog, and he's a veteran dog trainer out of Minneapolis. I got to say, it's uh, went over to a friend's house here in South Dakota, and uh, he had a guest at his house, and we were doing uh, uh, mallard duck breasts. They were they were breasted, but they had the the skin was on one side, and uh, the way it, it was, everybody takes duck to be honest with you, and cooks duck way too way too done, and. And he, he took, he had, uh, he had duck fat in a pan, and, and he seared these duck breasts, uh, skin down, and then, and then flipped them over. And most people would look at that and go, you did not cook that long enough for me to eat. Put the thermometer in at 135. And there were several guests over there that they weren't hunters. And they, you know, they're going, oh boy, it's duck. And they were like chomping at the bit you know, to have more. So I, I think that that was it. And then my wife made duck the other night uh, with an apricot sauce. <laughs> I got to give, I got to give her kudos on that because it was, it was really good too. So yeah, uh, I guess there's a lot of those stories, but those are the two that come to mind right now. I think those were good ones. And, and Jennifer, I kind of wanted you to speak to the use of the duck fat and then also the cooking. Overcooking. Of it. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need to look at when you're cooking a breast like that, look at it as like you're cooking a steak. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the joke is, if you want a um, well-done steak, eat chicken. Um, so <laughs> if you, the beauty of a duck breast is it's similar and, you know, it's, 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 it's a darker meat and it has just all that flavor. And if you cook it like a steak, like a medium rare steak, it is going to have better texture. It's going to have more flavor. Otherwise, it's going to get more, you know, to me, it gets more gamey and it gets chewier if you cook a breast like that all the way. You either want to like braise. If you're going to cook something all the way, like for me, if you're going to cook a duck all the way, you're braising it and you're almost doing it like you do like a roast that you kind of like are going to either like shred it or serve it over something. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have a beautiful duck breast, you definitely want to, you know, either sear it in a skillet or um, or throw it on the grill, but cook it like a steak, and you know, and it's going to be so much more flavor. And yeah, duck fat. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because yeah, you know, especially I'm assuming his duck fat came from not a duck that he a wild duck, but came from probably a farm raised duck. Because there's more. Because there's more I fat. Don't know. I mean, I, don't I mean, know. people do render. Yeah. Lot, duck yeah. It's just it, you got to have a lot of ducks. You would have a lot of ducks to have to render that. I know when you buy it commercially, most of the time it's going to be a farm-raised duck. Yeah. But yeah, I mean there's nothing better than to do that and then also to cook like potatoes on the side in the duck fat. Yeah. I mean, talk about a meal. That yeah. would be a delicious meal. Yeah. I found it interesting that he mentioned the 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 way of of cleaning the bird, uh, you know, getting the meat off of the off of the carcass there where he he plucked it left the skin on and retained that fat, you know, beneath the the skin. Uh, and I, I think he probably, I've seen, I don't know if this is, it feels like this is becoming more common for people to pluck the bird, breast it out, but leave the skin on. And I've even seen it becoming increasingly common that people will will, will cut off the, um, the leg, 
leg meat with that. So mm-hmm. you kind of have two halves is essentially yeah. what you have. And you have that you've retained the skin and that subcutaneous fat with that. And if you, especially if it's a bird that has accumulated a lot of fat, it's a fantastic way of um, of preparing that if you're going to grill it. And and there's so much fat on some of those birds, you have to watch out if you're grilling it on open flame. Because but I kind of kind of love that to happen mm-hmm. anyway, because they will Crisp flame up, up in a bit. big way. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a, there's a lot of good fat there underneath the skin for some of these birds. Sometime of year, Mike was even referencing that. But the meat itself is very very lean, and so you kind of have to have that source of fat of of some type. Well, I wanted to go back to you know the the gentleman that um had the talked about the duck press mm-hmm. and talk about you know when we talked about that all the flavor comes from you know as I said the fat, the skin, the bones, all of that adds flavor when you cook it. It kind of goes in, you know, maybe you may not be eating the bones, you may not eat the skin, but all the flavor that comes from that goes into the meat. So you want to, when you're cooking, you want to use that as much as possible. I mean, it goes down to a boneless, skinless chicken breast mm-hmm. is really yeah. not flavorful. Yeah. But if you have one with it's a bone in with the skin on and you roast that, it's like a whole different animal yeah. um, that you're cooking. For sure. Okay, so as, as we get close to wrapping this show up, Jennifer, I, I kind of wanted to give you, you know, another opportunity to just, you know, just overall, you know, hearing about all these different, you know, hunting camp meals, or maybe it's just a memory, or maybe it's the specific species, um, kind of give you an opportunity to kind of just reflect on all of that. Like, how, what did you think, you know, about all of these kind of together as a package? Well, um, I number one, I feel like I've been missing out on something in my whole <laughs> life that I have not gone duck hunting yet. I'm going to have to change that. We will. <laughs> because um, I just love hearing all of these stories. And I've heard all these stories from people beforehand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, over the years um, about, and especially with my husband coming home from hunts and things like that, he's gone with his friends. And, and it sounds like such a great experience. And it's more than just going out and doing something, a sport by yourself. It, it really has to do with your friend's and the people that you're out there doing it with or your family members passing along. I have many friends that, you know, their dad took them and then they used to, then they took their own sons and now they may be on another generation mm-hmm. of taking people out. Um, and I just think there is something so special about the experience of that that just is, is really cool. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I do, and it's, again, food is... I live to eat, you know, is a big part of my life. And I love that sports like this wrap themselves around um, food, you know, and meals. And it's all tied in together. So I think it's just a really special. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's one last thing I, I, I do want to talk about. And, Mike, this is completely for you. What's the best thing you've ever eaten? At duck camp, because because we've got them from all these other people, we haven't gotten one from you. Uh, well, let me first just say my impression about the collection of stories that we heard. It matches probably what I would have expected, being mm-hmm. a duck hunter and having being able to visualize pretty much every one of those experiences that people that people shared with us. I've I'm aware of, or I've I've been involved in some version of almost every one of those. Not not everyone, but almost everyone, and. The thing that one of the things I found so meaningful, and, and Jennifer, this kind of gets to what you saying. You feel like you've been missing out. The meals don't have to be extravagant. 
And oftentimes the meals are not extravagant and it's not a very sophisticated preparation. Even the squeezing out of all the juices and the fat. I mean, that didn't take a whole lot of time, right? You just put it in some kind of press and out comes the, the, um, the, the juices. Or the one that was prepared all day in the big pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a sophisticated set of ingredients. And so that's what is so meaningful to me is that it's as much about the experience, the memories, the people you're with, as it is actually what you're what you're eating. And so my memory, the, whenever someone asks me that question, it, I kind of go back to something that would that would be similar to one of these. It was not a very sophisticated meal. It was actually just grilled redhead duck. We were uh, on a on an island off the Texas coast, um, one of the little um, barrier islands. There, we were there for a meeting, and it was a group of colleagues, and we were we had gathered up some mesquite wood from from some of the uh, the nearby shrubs and trees, and we had this big big grill on on like a trailer and I mean like way bigger than what we needed right because they use that place for some of their staff meetings and so forth and so they needed big grilling capacity but it's way way too big for us but nevertheless it we we loaded it up with with mesquite we didn't use charcoal just mesquite wood that we gathered right there and and fresh redhead ducks and um we grilled them that night. We had maybe a couple of glasses of bourbon. I think there might have even been some cigars, but <laughs> it was just under the under the Texas sky at night, away from all of the worries of the world. Now we were we were there as as sort of a group that were were doing some having some discussions there around some of the work that we do, but we also took the opportunity to do that kind of fellowship and get to know one another. And it's, it's, I don't know who said it. It's one of these food shows. It's like, if you want to get to know someone, eat with them. And, and that couldn't be any more true than the type of things that we experienced there. I mean, it was the, the redhead was cooked medium rare. I don't even know if we had any side items. It was similar to what uh, uh, Mike Schumer was talking about, one of these carnivore carnivore moments. (laughs) And interestingly enough, I believe Dr. Dave Ankeny was there with us, but it was just a a most memorable event for a whole host of reasons. And the duck was fantastic too, I will say, with that mesquite. Uh, flavor to it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I wanted to ask you what yours was. You, we can't, Oof. we can't, yeah, get away from this um, without asking. I was about trying yours. to close it out. I was, <laughs> I I was going to send were. it over to Jennifer. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, we, we eat a lot at our camp, and we, eat, um, you know, all the time. Like I said, I focus on that. And you know, one of the big things for for us now, just for the last few years, and it kind of became a running joke for me, is because I would bring. And this is before I was even a part of this club. They would invite me over, and I would bring a charcuterie board in the morning. And so they're like, what in the hell are you doing? And I'd have, you know, <laughs> pickles and cheese and raisins and, you know, any kind of you – know, just adding whatever I could. And, and now it's become this extravagant every weekend when we're all there, and that's pretty rare. But, you know, I, I plan. You know, I've got – you know, I order in, like, you know, canned octopus and, like, <laughs> just weird things. And, you know, and we're doing all this, and I actually have – and I'll throw a shout-out to the place called The Smoking Goose in downtown Indianapolis. My sister lives, like, two blocks away from it, and um, they do a duck prosciutto. Ooh. And it is fabulous. And, yeah, of course, it's not wild bird, um, but – but that kind of wraps up for me, you know, 
everything that that I like about the experience and the hunting. And, and so it's not necessarily a meal itself or it's just all of like just people getting fired up about food and hunting and you're at camp and, you know, my family makes homemade salami and has for 50 years. And so I'll bring those over and, and slice those up and, and people from all over the country are like, man, that's, you know, great salami, you know, where'd you buy this? I'm like, I didn't, my family made it. So it's, it's all part of the, you know, kind of the attachment to the food and the resource and the experience. And, and so I think that that really wraps it up for me. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. I have one, I have the worst thing I've ever eaten at Duck Camp. How about that? Maybe we'll I save that a for different, a different show. A different, okay, we yeah, do yeah, have perfect. more shows. We do have more, more clips from some of our other guests. Now that wouldn't be fair to them though, to share your worst thing you've ever eaten along with their that's right we'll do that another time but before we get out of here sometime in the future i want jennifer to go ahead and just provide us with you know the overall (laughs) thanksgiving experience you know this is our thanksgiving show um what do you reckon like if someone calls you or contacts you through your column and says hey what should i do for thanksgiving you know oh i get those calls all the time i bet you do i have a joke on social media i do these things every year before the holidays it's like the 12 days i'm doing the 12 days of christmas i'm Mm -hmm. doing the 12 days of thanksgiving and literally i'm posting about a particular topic um whether it's green bean casserole or sweet potatoes or or you name it you know i i think everyone needs to realize, though, that the holiday is about any holiday and any gathering that you have in your home is about people. And always make that the priority, whether you're in a home or whether you're in a duck camp or wherever you are, it is all about people are there to see you and you've invited them because you want them in your home and you want to see them. So try to make sure that when you're doing your planning, that you're not spending all your time in the kitchen do things in advance, you know, at Thanksgiving time, it is okay to order one or two dishes from somebody else. Mm. If it will ease up your load, that's okay. I have to tell you last year, I got my macaroni and cheese from a restaurant because I was just like, okay, I couldn't figure out the oven space. And, um, but I put my own topping on top of it. So nobody at the table Well, then you made it your own. Yeah, I I put it in my own casserole dish. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, anybody who was at my table, which wasn't many anybody last year because of COVID, it was my media family, but um, (laughs) well, um, but they didn't know any different. So just make it easy on yourself. Don't be afraid to do shortcuts. Don't be afraid to ask people to bring dishes. Remember what the reason for having people over are. It's about the people. That is great. Hey, before we get out of here, I don't remember if you said this at the beginning, but how if people, now that people have listened to you, share uh, share your thoughts and some of your experiences, if people wanted to follow you to find out more yes, of this great yes. information that you have to share, how well, would they do that? Well, most of my stuff is on social media these days. So um, my kind of like Twitter handle and my Instagram handle and Facebook. It's all Cook with Jennifer. So Cook W. Jennifer is the easy way to find me. I do have a website, cookwithjennifer.com. And I also, I'm always posting stories on, um, I have a little small radio show on wknofm.org every week. And it's on a food topic. And if you're interested in Memphis Restaurant News, commercialappeal.com slash food. I'm, it's pretty much all my stories there. Awesome. That's great. Jennifer, this has been fantastic. I'm glad that you got came in. We were able to come to the studio, be a part of this. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And, and just, you know, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Now I'm going to have to ask for an invitation to um, go hunting with someone. <laughs> we, we can take care of that. I think, I think we can take care of that. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. 
I'd like to thank our guest, Jennifer Chandler, for joining us today on this Thanksgiving episode and, and really bringing to light the, the true meaning of some of these holidays is about the people, um, but also the food's always fantastic. Uh, I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the U Podcast and supporting Wetlands Conservation. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving! Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Do you want to count us down? Do us one, two. How are we going to do it? Just go, Mike. <laughs> one, two. Happy Thanksgiving. That was perfect. <laughs> I was waiting on the three. Do you want, you want all three of us to do it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, okay we'll do one, two, three, okay. and Happy then we'll Thanksgiving. say it. Yeah. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.